Let me just share a story with you guys. When we first started coming here, I think it was the second week, we got in our van and we left, and our daughter, our nine-year-old daughter at the time, she said, I just love going to the plant. She says, people just look me in the eyes and they just, I just feel like they really notice me. And I thought about Jesus when he said, you know, that the, the eyes are the lamp of the body. I mean, you can really tell who people are by what's going on in their eyes. And definitely here our nine-year-old daughter is feeling like she was just receiving so much love and encouragement from this body. And so for us as parents, it was like, wow, God is doing something so special uh, and unique in the plant family, and we get to be part of this. Um, this is absolutely fantastic. So we're glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Um, it's wonderful to get to know each other even more. And I'm incredibly humbled uh, to be able to have the opportunity just to share with you guys this morning. Um, so we're going to go on a little bit of a journey together. You know, it's been an exciting week in the world, right? I mean, the royal baby was born, yeah? People excited about that, huh? I mean, the royal baby, right? Boy George, right? Is that his name? Boy named George? I thought Great Britain already had a boy George. Um, I guess there's another one. So, come a, come a, come a, come a, come a chameleon. Um, exciting stuff. Speaking of babies being born, specifically three times in my life that I said from the bottom of my heart, dear God, thank you, I am a man. Uh, one of those was when our first son was born. One of those was when our first daughter was born. And the other one of those was when our, third, our, our second daughter was born, third child, right? I mean, you go through that and you're like, you're near the hospital bed there and you're watching your wife go through this incredible experience. It's incredible. But I'm thinking to myself, I would never want to be in her position right now. I am more than fine right here where I am. I just, God, thank you, I'm a man, you know? I mean, you watch him go through this and you say to yourself, how, how, does, one, how does one do this? Uh, now, granted, they got a lot of help around them, right? I mean, the nurses are there, the doctor is there, maybe a midwife or somebody else, and you know, a lot of resources that are made available to them. But eventually, in the midst of the process, right, I guess, let's just be honest, when you get kind of to the pushing phase, like, there's nothing that can help this woman, right? I mean, she just, she gets into a zone where, like, the world just disappears around her. There is nothing, nothing that anyone or anything could do to help her. And it's like she just taps into nothing, but yet at the same time, she taps into everything. Right? It's like she has nothing to grab a hold of, but everything is present. And like, this baby is born. It's like, wow, you're just blown away at what you witness. Absolutely amazing. Now, I thought to myself, man... I don't want to be in that place, but like, do guys ever get that experience? You know, like, is, is there anything where I can say, you know, like as a guy, like, man, you can like tap into like something deep within, you know, there's nothing around to help you, but you tap into something deep within and you do something amazing. And I thought, well, yeah, I guess we can golf, right? Yeah, guys, any golfers in the house, by the way? Any golfers? Craig, come on up here. I need some help right here, all right? Come on up, Craig. So here we go, all right? Craig's like, yeah, why did I raise my hand, all right? Now, so I got a nice driver here, all right? Craig, just tell us a little bit. I mean, it's intense. I mean, to yeah. golf, it, there's no multitasking in golf, right? Well, you, you got to be focused. You got to be focused, right? I mean, just like a woman in, in labor and childbirth, right? A little, little bit. A little bit, exactly. I think the two are very much equivalent to one another, right? It's a that, lot of work. Yeah. That head's smaller than the baby's head. Exactly. All right, okay, that's true. But I mean, to hit that little golf ball like 300 and some yards on a straight line, I mean, that's... It takes a lot. Exactly. So tell us, what kind of focus does it take? What are the things that we need to be mindful of if we're going to do this right? Alignment. Well, first is your grip. 
you have a nice interlocking grip there, or a pinky over uh, index finger, I like the interlock. You need to um, grip the club very loosely in your hand, but not too tight, like you're holding a, a baby bird in your hands. Yeah, good. exactly. Right? So a little bit of focus, so we'll address the ball. And, and the key is you want your eyes to be lined right over the ball, and you want to look at your target. You've got to pick a target maybe for me, 240. Yeah, out, out yeah, fairway, yeah. Maybe to the left of the tree. Uh -huh. so this is intense focus, I can tell. Right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, what, what's happening on the inside at that moment? I mean, like, just like, are you just, it's like something welling up inside of you before you, like, yeah. draw the swing back? Not like a baby, but okay. certainly. <laughs> Help me out. You should say kind of like a baby, like right? A baby. Okay, all right, okay. Maybe the anxiety, the anticipation of what could this ball do. What could come, exactly, right? I hope it doesn't go straight. Do I hook it? Do I slice right. it? There's a lot going on there. Yeah. But it's and what happens as you pull the club back? If someone were to go like, go, 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 you know, does that bother you? Is that, that's bad, right? That's very bad. Okay, all right. A, a yeah. very strange bird, indigenous New Jersey. Yes, all right, okay. Um, but yeah, I think you, but the, the whole thing, I think, for me, is ultimately when you're ready to swing, you're, you need to clear your mind. Clear your mind, like, right. The best swings usually happen when you don't think mechanically. You just say, you know, I'm just going to let this right. rip. And you just bring it back nice and smooth. Bam. Awesome. Let's give them a hand, everybody, right? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. So yeah, you know, I mean, so all right, guys, we at least have an opportunity to connect with what some women can go through there in childbirth, right? I mean, you just, you got to tap into like just, there's nothing around that can help you. You just get in this zone and like, there's nothing there, but you're tapping into it. But like something beautiful can come from it, right? No, not even close, guys. But anyways, we've been talking about prayer this summer. We're going to continue to explore prayer. Um, this morning, if there's one thing that I want you to remember, I'd like you to remember this. Prayer is really an opportunity. It's an opportunity to tap into nothing, but yet discover everything. And I realize as you first hear that, you might say, you have to explain that a little bit. And that's what we'll do. Prayer is an opportunity to tap into nothing, but yet discover everything. I know it can sound a little bit nihilistic, right? It's like, wait a minute, what do you mean tap into nothing? This is what I'd like to do this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to Psalm 121, right? I mean, if you're a woman going through labor and childbirth, you are fully engaged, body, heart, soul, mind, all of it. You're fully present in the midst of that activity. If you're a guy who wants to really work on your golf swing, right, you are fully engaged, body, heart, soul, mind, all of it. There's no multitasking. And what's crazy is a lot of us actually get paid really, really good money to multitask very well throughout our weeks, right? I mean, the more things that we can juggle, the more things that we can do, the more places that we can try to be present, uh, the more money we can get, the more people value us, the more people will applaud for us, the more success we might experience. And so here we are talking about prayer, as we're going to see in Psalm 121, which is really, it's, it's a prayer, it's a song, it's people engaged, body, soul, heart, mind, all of it. And for us to engage in prayer this kind of way is going to take a lot of practice. It's going to take a lot of time, a lot of attention, because for the most part, we're not, we're not really living our lives in that kind of way as we go throughout our weeks. And so when we open together to Psalm 121, this is what we see. Um, we read first and foremost these words. I'll just read it for us. It's on the screen if you need to take a look. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. 
Indeed, he who watches over Israel never slumbers or sleeps. The Lord himself watches over you. The Lord stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. The Lord keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. The Lord keeps watch over you as you come and go, both now and forevermore. This is a song that uh, the people of God would sing. It's a prayer that they would pray as they would journey together. Many times throughout the year, God's people, they would make these long journeys to Jerusalem, right? There would be these festivals, these celebrations, these parties that they would have. And so as they would travel together, say it'd be like us gathering and saying, all right, let's meet out in the parking lot. We're going to walk down to Camden together, right? We've got a festival in Camden. Doesn't that sound fun? Woohoo! Right? Probably be about that same distance though, all right? So we're just going to journey together. And as we journey together, we'd pray and we'd sing and we'd be these pilgrims together. And that's what's happening here. Now, some people would say, I wonder, all right, are these people kind of speaking to each other? Because if you look in verse 1 and 2, right, you see the person is speaking in singular language, right? English teachers in the house will love this, right, Laura? I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. But now we move to second person, right? He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. And so some people would say it was like the people would be speaking back and forth to each other. There'd be a worship leader and then the group would be speaking back. Or maybe the priest, when they'd get to Jerusalem, they'd be celebrating and partying and worshiping there all week. And so the priest would kind of speak this to the people as the people would now return back home to live their lives. Some even said this could be maybe like a father speaking to a son, speaking back and forth to each other. Or it could just be an individual, right? Speaking to himself or herself. How do you know you're fully engaged in an activity? I know I'm fully engaged in an activity when I start speaking to myself, right? Okay, I got to do this. Uh, all right, I'm going I'm to install this sink faucet. Kurt, you don't know what you're doing. What do you mean you're going to install this sink faucet? No, I can do this. I really can. I know I can. I just got to make sure I follow the directions here. Kurt, even if you follow directions, you're going you're gonna to make it worse. Like, don't do this. Get help. Get help now. No, I can really do this, right? I mean, so you see these people, whatever the situation is that they're here, they're fully engaged in the midst of this, right? Their body, they're speaking words, they're singing a song, their heart, their soul, their mind, they're in community together. All of this is happening. And so in the midst of this praying, fully engaged, fully tuned in, um, if we look at the passage a little bit further, we see as they're on this journey, the people say, I look up to the mountains. I look up to the hills. Now, why the hills? Why the mountains? As these people are journeying together, what is it about the hills? What is it about the mountains that they see? And so at certain times when we read Scripture, we have to look to other parts of Scripture to help ourselves understand a little bit more of what's going on here. And so in particular, I want us to turn to Jeremiah chapter 3. Uh, it'll be on the screen, or you can turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, and let's look at verse 19 in particular, verses 19 through 25. So Jeremiah, he's a, um, whew, this guy was a fireball. He's a prophet about 700 years before the time of Jesus, okay? Now at this time, Israel is divided into two kingdoms. There's a northern kingdom, and there's a southern kingdom. And so Jeremiah, he's a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah, now, Jeremiah, he's a guy who, he just shows up on the scene and Jeremiah says, all right, here's the deal. The people of God, the institutions of God, they're all missing the mark. They're missing the mark. They just don't get it. And so Jeremiah, he just starts speaking these incredible words of prophecy, just laying the smack down. 
And so in Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah is not only speaking the words of God, but he's also speaking the other, other words too. And so in verse 19, Jeremiah is actually speaking words of God to the people. And so this is actually God's words speaking through Jeremiah in verse 19 of Jeremiah chapter 3. God is saying, I thought to myself, I would love to treat you, you being Israel, the people of God, I would love to treat you as my own children. I wanted nothing more than to give you this beautiful land, the finest possession in the world. I looked forward to calling, uh, to your calling me father, and I wanted you never to turn from me. But you have been unfaithful to me, you people of Israel. You have been like a faithless wife who leaves her husband. I, the Lord, have spoken. So God stops speaking there, and then Jeremiah continues. Voices are heard high on the windswept mountains. So now here we get to the mountains, the weeping and pleading of Israel's people. For they have chosen crooked paths and have forgotten the Lord their God. My wayward children, says the Lord, come back to me and I will heal your wayward hearts. Yes, we're coming, the people reply, for you are the Lord our God. Our worship of idols, where? What does it say? Our worship of idols, where? On the hills, right? Our worship of idols on the hills and our religious orgies on the mountains are a delusion. In this day and age, for this people, the hills would have been the high places of worship. And so people would have gone to the hills because in some way maybe they feel like they're getting closer to the gods, right? Those things that brought them life, those things that brought them security, those things that brought them meaning. On the hills is where they would go to worship these gods, People are saying, our worship, our worship, the people of God, our worship of idols on the hills and our religious orgies on the mountains are a delusion. Only in the Lord our God will Israel ever find salvation. From childhood, we have watched as everything our ancestors worked for, their flocks and herds, their sons and daughters, was squandered on a delusion. Let us now lie down in shame and cover ourselves with dishonor, for we and our ancestors have sinned against the Lord our God, from our childhood to this day, we have never obeyed him. And so you think about this context, and now we go back to Psalm 121. I look up to the mountains. Some translations say, I lift my eyes to the hills. The hills meant something for these people. The hills were the places where people would worship the gods, where they would look for comfort and security and meaning. And God's people were even participating in that. So this is an opportunity for us as the people of God to say, what, what hills do we look to? What places do we look to in our world to bring us comfort, to bring us security, to bring us help? I could try to make a list, but that's not very fun. Let's make a list together. What are the places that we've looked to? What are the things that we've looked to to bring us that comfort, that security, that help that we often desire and long for? What do you think? Friends. Yeah. Money, right? Checkbook. Busyness, yeah. Maybe I can find meaning in my life if I just stay busy enough. Yeah. What's that? I'm sorry? A spouse, yeah. 
This person will complete me, right? This person is what I need. This person is my everything. And we only find out that they often let us down so many times. Anybody else? Drugs, right? Something to dull the pain, right? Anything to help me get through. Achievements, yeah. I want to make an identity for myself. I want to be successful so I can just achieve this, achieve that, whatever it might be. Anything else? Happiness. Happiness, yeah. Whatever it is that makes us happy, right? The next vacation, that next bonus, that next purchase, you know that rush you get when you get to buy something? You buy something. And like sometimes just like buying something, there's like a rush of blood. I mean, it's amazing. Like, you know, just the chemical reactions that can go on in your body. And so all of those things say to us like, wow, where, where are my eyes focused? What hills am I looking to around me? All of these places that our world sits and worships to find meaning and satisfaction. And you know what? Maybe as a person of God, I'm still there. See, as we fully engage in praying, body, heart, soul, mind, these are the things that begin to get uncovered in our lives. Something amazing happens in verse 2. After they consider the hills, the mountains that are around them, they say this, my help comes from the Lord. Other translations might say, from where does my help come from? All right? And specifically, these people are not speaking the English language like you and I are speaking, right? We all know that. They're speaking Hebrew, right? And so you're all going to be Hebrew students this morning. You ready? From where, if we say, from where does my help come from? If we were to say, from where, we say, mach I an. Say, mach I an. Let me hear you say it. Mach I an. Very good, right? Get that throat, throat gurgle in there. Mach I an. From where? Now, the Hebrew language has a lot less words than the English, English language, and so this could also be translated, from nothing does my help come from. From nothing does my help come from. Now, the opposite of ayen, nothing, is the word yesh. Let me hear you say yesh. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on. Yesh. Let me hear it. Yesh, right? So the opposite of ayen, nothing, is yesh, which is something, okay? And so we look to all kinds of somethings to give us the help that we need to make it through life, right? We look to all kinds of somethings, things with boundaries, things that we can touch, things that we can feel, things that we can experience, things that give us that rush when we can buy them and have them close to us, whether it's that relationship that we long for so much, or whether it's that, that little bit of buzz that we get from that chocolate cake or that dose of heroin, whatever it is. Or maybe that new piece of clothing, because if I can just get that, or if I can just get that, that achievement or that success, we look to all kinds of somethings, all kinds of yeshes around us. But yet these people are reminding us in their praying that our help doesn't come from those things, those things with boundaries those things with limits, those things that are here today but then gone tomorrow. They're unlocking a whole new world for us, saying, you know what? 
Our help comes from nothing. Not nothing in the sense of nothing to experience whatsoever, but nothing in the sense that our help comes from something that has no boundaries, that has no limits, that isn't here today and gone tomorrow, that isn't new for a week and then old next week, that isn't here this year and then replaced with the number six or the model number seven in another year or two. Our help comes from nothing in the sense the one who encompasses everything. Some of you are like, dude, you're getting all mystical on me. Let me tell you something. If you hang out with Kurt long enough, you're going to find out that that's a little bit of who Kurt is. You know, because to truly be the people of God, we have to understand that God is pulling us into something that's much deeper and beyond than we can ever think or imagine. But yet when we tap into it, we discover everything, right? Just like that woman who's giving birth, you say to yourself, she gets to that point in her labor and like everything around her disappears. She has nothing that she's looking to for help and she gets to that place, but yet something comes from within. It's like, how does this happen? And when we get to that point, people of God, when we in our praying become people who all of a sudden, I'm not praying looking at the hills around me. I'm not praying even thinking that I need all of these things that I think I need, but I'm praying saying, God, my help comes from you alone, the one without boundaries, the one who is not defined by any limits. Something amazing begins to happen in our prayer life. Our life begins to change in all kinds of ways. And so this is the one, as the people then describe throughout the rest of the psalm, this is the one who will not let you stumble. He's the one who's watching over you. He's the one who keeps you. He's the one who protects you. He's the one who makes sure that you are not harmed. He's the one who's up all night so that you don't have to be up all night. He's the one watching over you so that you don't have to constantly be watching everything around you. But you can simply pay attention to what God wants to do in your own heart, in your own life. What a beautiful thing when we get to that place in our journey as the people of God. So how does this shape our praying? How does a psalm like this, as we, as we step into the story of these people, as we see them pray and sing and journey together as the people of God, how does this shape our praying? That's what we need to wrestle with as we finish off with the rest of this morning. Um, I think the first thing we need to consider is this. Um, Our praying needs to be an engagement of body, heart, soul, mind, all of it. Because if you're like me, I know in my own praying, it's very difficult to be fully present in one specific act. Some mornings I'll be like, all right, waking up early, I'm going to spend some time praying, right? And already I I, kind of get there and I get to that place, all right, God, thank you for this morning, rabbit. God, help me focus, squirrel. God, I want to fully focus on you meeting at 11 o'clock, right? I mean, it's just, we're all over the place. We're all over the place. God, I believe you are who you say you are, but this person's life is falling apart and I'm not sure that, you know, like worry settles in, right? And so even to be fully present in the midst of our praying, body, heart, soul, mind, all of it, 
It's incredibly difficult. So as the people of God, we've got to consider what's going to happen in our lives if we're going to become people who pray like this, fully in tune with what's going around in our surroundings, right? I mean, these people, they're, they're, they're walking, they're speaking. I, I don't know what it's going to take for you. Maybe, it's, you know, maybe it's just getting in some type of physical place or position where you can say, God, I am, I am all yours right now. I don't know what that's going to be for you. It's getting to that place where you're going to be fully in tune saying, God, I've got to be really honest. There's a lot of things that I'm looking to all around me. And so as I begin in prayer, I need to just confess to you my anxiety about this, my desire for this, my longing for this. I'm looking to all of these things because these are the things that I look for. And so really, a lot of my praying, God, I'm just going to be honest, a lot of my praying is really fueled by worry and insecurity. My praying isn't really fueled by the fact and the truth that, God, you are beyond all limits. You can't be defined by anything. God, you are the one who encompasses everything, yet defined by nothing. Like, how do I get to the place where I can pray so that that's the beginning place of my prayer? Not where I'm just driven to prayer because of my anxiety or worry. Hey, if that's the place to start, that's the place to start right now. I'm not saying if you are worried or anxious, don't pray. But what I am saying is I think God wants to move us from a place where instead of just being praying people because of our anxieties and worries, we actually become more proactive in our praying where we can say, I'm going to move from that place and God, I'm going to pray because you can work in ways that I don't even understand. God, you can work in ways that I don't need these other things to happen like I think I need them to happen. So we've got to seriously consider what it's going to mean for us to engage in praying in that kind of way, fully present, body, heart, soul, mind, all of it. And then we've got to make room in our praying to listen, to listen to God. I saw something on the Plant Facebook page come through this week. Maybe you saw it too. That prayer in a lot of ways, we we tend to think of praying as always being speaking, but in a lot of ways, prayer is a listening opportunity. God, what do you have to say to me right now? God, what is it that you want to reveal about my heart? God, what is it that you want to reveal to me about the things that I'm looking to for the help and the sustenance that I think I need? God, where am I living a delusion? God, in what ways am I just engaged in these religious orgies, right? That's one of the words Jeremiah used, right? You're just, you're in these delusions and these religious orgies. God doesn't want that. God wants our hearts, our full attention. He wants us to know him and to believe that he is the one who is beyond all of these things that we look to. So God, I'm listening. I'm here. I'm present. And in the midst of this stillness, I'm going to let you speak to me. Our focus now is on the boundless God, right? the God who is not defined by all of the things that we look to. And last but not least, in praying, we allow our identity, we allow our identity to be swallowed up in the God who possesses everything, who fills everything up. I think about the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9. Let's look, it'll be up here on the screen. Um, Luke chapter 9, these words of Jesus came to mind as I was thinking about this this week. 
and there's some amazing things happening in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is actually sending his disciples out to go do ministry, right? Just like we're going to do to you in a few minutes as we send you out and say, now go be the people of God. Go bless your neighbors. Go look to meet needs around you. And so Jesus, in chapter 9, he's sending his disciples out. And the first thing that he says to them is, hey, as you go out, guess what? Don't take anything with you. Don't take a bag. Don't take an extra cloak. Just go. That's it. See, do you see what Jesus is doing? Jesus is calling them away from all of the things that they think they need and saying, no, I'm going to do something through you because I'm the one who, who goes beyond all things, all limits, all boundaries. And so Jesus now is engaging his disciples in the very thing that the people of God were calling out in Psalm 121. And then after he sends them out, then we read about a feeding of a 5,000 in Luke chapter 9. And the people are like, we don't have enough food. What, what are they focused on, right? They're focused on the things that they have right in front of them. We, we can't do this. We don't have the right things. And so most of us, if we were in that place, we'd say, God, please miraculously give us the things that we need right now. Um, rather than saying, God, you can work with what I already have. I, I don't need more things. I have you. You're the one who goes beyond all things. Um, and then after this, um, we get to, what verse are we starting in here? Um, verse 23, then Jesus said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed or just living in a delusion, engaged in all kinds of religious orgies on the hills all around, but missing out on what it means to be my person? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Sometimes Jesus' words are just downright frustrating. They're just downright hard. They get to a whole nother level. So Jesus is saying, look, if you want to save your life, lose it. Lose it. And I think Jesus is talking about a part of our life that we often don't like to talk about. It's that part that we often can't see, and it's the part of us that doesn't want to be seen. Many people just call it our ego, right? It's our ego. It's that part of us that wants to be right. It's that part of us that wants to be morally superior. It's that part of us that wants to be safe. It's that part of us that wants to project a good image to the world around us. And see, the ego doesn't want to be noticed because once the ego gets noticed, it's exposed. Oh no, you found me out. And Jesus is saying, I want to do away with that part of you so that you can truly stop looking for all of the things on the hills and the mountains around you to keep feeding your ego, right? You don't have to be right all the time. You don't need to be right. If that person wants to be right, just let them be right. It doesn't mean you have to enmesh yourself with them, but just let them be right. Our world is constantly 
pitting people against each other. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's right? Who's left? Who's this? Who's that? Jesus is saying, lose that part of yourself. We don't need to define ourselves by those things. Um, We get a certain satisfaction sometimes as the people of God being morally superior to the people around us. And so Rob is always hitting us with this one, right? Following Jesus is not about just being morally superior to others. It's about living from a place where you realize how much God loves you and how much God has blessed you and how God has forgiven you and saved you so that you can simply bless others and give yourself to others. The ego wants to be safe. It wants to be protected. And so this is why, this is where it gets really touchy. You know, this is why as a nation sometimes if someone goes into a school in Connecticut and kills lots of children, we, children, we, we, we're in an outrage and we should be. And it should force us to our knees to say, why, God, does this happen? But yet at the same time, when a drone strike kills maybe a dozen children in Pakistan, do we find ourselves at that same place? And God, why do children have to die? Well, maybe because in some way our safety is being protected. See, this is what happens. Jesus wants us to get to these nitty-gritty areas of our lives, right? The place where we don't need to project our best self to others to kind of show ourselves off. But Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to watch over your life. I will supply your needs. And so you can free yourself up to trust me, to be fully present in prayer with me, and I'm going to send you out. And as I send you out into the world, I'm going to do amazing things through you. As you don't strive to be right, as you don't strive to be morally superior, as you don't strive to be safe, as you don't strive to look cool or look the part, because I want you to lose that part of your life and I'm going to replace it with something else, right? And so the ego begins to slowly die. Some people call that the false self. And then what happens is the true self is allowed to come out, right? That part of us, the image of God that we're created in, right? The part that, that, that Jesus stepped in to die for, right? To save, to rescue, to forgive, to heal, to transform. And now that part of us starts to come alive. And as that part of us comes alive, people look at us as the people of God. And they're like, these people are living out of a completely different place than all of the other people around me. The rest of us are over here dancing on the hills, grabbing for this, grabbing for this, staying busy, trying for the next achievement, grabbing a hold of whatever we can. But these people just seem to live with this confidence and this freedom. And it's like watching a woman who's given birth to a baby and you're just like, this is amazing. This is amazing. That's the opportunity we have as the people of God. Wow. This is the beautiful thing as we prepare to come to communion together. Um, we cannot do this on our own. To get to this level of, of, of praying where we find ourselves so fully engaged, body, heart, soul, mind, realizing that, God, I'm not going to come to you out of, in prayer out of anxiety or worry or any place else, but I'm going to come out of just confidence and security, knowing that you are the one who is boundless. You are the one who is limitless. I mean, to get to that place, we can't do that on our own. But Jesus did. 
is how Jesus lived his life, right? You watch Jesus often going early in the morning, often withdrawing from the crowds, going to places to pray, to connect with his father, the one that he knew was beyond all limits and boundaries. And so our first humble step in wrestling with all of the things that we've wrestled with this morning is simply coming and saying, Jesus, thank you for accomplishing and doing what I can't do on my own. Jesus, I want to grow in my understanding of my heavenly Father just as you did. Jesus, I want to pray out of that place of confidence and security just as you did. And so we come to the table and we allow the life of Jesus to just begin to take over our own life. That's the opportunity. Plant family, I'm excited. I'm excited about what God is going to continue to do all around this North Jersey area, even over the border into Suffer and those other places of New York that some of us find ourselves, right? Because I believe, and I know that Rob believes, and I know that all of us believe it, that God is up to amazing. And as we keep opening our lives, as we keep discovering more and more of this boundless, limitless God that we have, we're going to be transformed. People are going to notice. People are going to see something different. They're going to be drawn to it. And guess what? We're not going to have to force anything on anybody. We're just going to be able to bear witness to this God who extends far beyond all limits and boundaries. We're going to find ourselves no longer looking to the hills around us, but instead looking to the Lord. We're going to find ourselves cultivating a beautiful and new creation right in the midst of this broken one, right? Right in the midst of this one that's so just broken, dark, God's going to do something amazing in the midst of that. Let me pray for us, all right? And then Rob's going to come up and lead us in communion.